it's almost just like something just swapped in my head and I thought, nah, this is the reality. We've got a, we've got two options here. You can dwell on this and have a horrible life or you can look at the positives and go, well, I'm still here. I don't know what the future holds. Rehab was quite uh, intimidating in the fact of the unknown. I think that's what fears me the most is unknown. But other than that, you know, day by day, inch by inch, Hello and welcome to the 25 Stay Alive podcast, an inspiring, real and raw conversation with Hugo and Willie, two army mates and cancer survivors who are passionate in helping the lives of other young men and women. Welcome everyone for another installment of the 25 Stay Alive podcast. I'm Hugo and this week I am joined by Willie. I was a bit lonely last week, mate, not having you by my side, so welcome back. Yeah, I'm finally back, living the high life in Sydney for a little bit. Yeah, well, it looked pretty awesome, mate. So look, today we're joined by one of the most inspirational people that you'll ever come across. His name is Ben, he's 24 years of age, and he's a remarkable story. Just over four years ago, he had an accident which changed his life forever. In a matter of seconds, he became a tetraplegic. Uh, And despite only having 7% movement to his entire body, he is unbelievably positive. So, Benny, mate, it is an absolute privilege to have you here today. And welcome to the show. Yeah, cheers for having us, boys. Thanks for the drink. So, look, before we actually get into your remarkable story, Ben, uh, what's the actual difference between a paraplegic and a quadriplegic? Because I understand that a tetraplegic and quadriplegic are the same thing. Yeah, so para is to short for two and quad is short for four. So a paraplegic, uh, two of their limbs are affected. A quadriplegic, four of their limbs are affected. And unfortunately, like when, as with you boys, you hear quadriplegic and straight away your assumption is uh, this person's going to be in a wheelchair and only move their head and they'll be like the Christopher Reeve spoke, the Superman that... Mm that unfortunately uh, only does have head movement and is a quadriplegic. Yep. Uh, they've, I think, changed the terminology to this word tetraplegic, which also means four, and it just identifies that, you know, four limbs are affected. You know, I can't completely move my arm the way the average Joe can, but, you know, my fingers are affected and there's minimal tricep control there, so four of my limbs are affected, quadriplegic, tetraplegic. That's yeah, because that's what shook me a little bit was when we when we all first met in the pub was I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's a quadriplegic, and then you shook my hand and I was like, wait... <laughs> What? You move. Uh, is it a miracle? Like, should, should we, are we really getting on their work? hard? Like, celebrating. How many beers have I had? Yeah, I know. Well, how many beers have you had? How many beers have you had to start shaking my hand if you're a quadriplegic? Yeah, mate, not enough. Yeah, well, I, I did actually find it quite remarkable, Ben, when I picked you up for, for today's episode uh, and you were showing me around your house and you were basically living independently, um, which I was kind of really taken back by I wasn't expecting that. And besides from some care and some support in the mornings and throughout the week to, to help you with certain tasks and stuff, you, you live by yourself, which is uh, I found quite incredible. And I think uh, you summarized it best when you said, uh, I have 7% ability, uh, not 93% disability. And that straight away is quite a powerful, powerful thing you said because it really summarizes you quite well. Yeah, I guess... Um I'm all about the uh, like sun's always shining. I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm never pessimistic. I think you've got to surround yourself with just strong, positive words to live a strong, positive life. Um, I've been like that from day one. Like I thought, you know, if I look at myself down, I'm, I'm going to be down. Same with my home. You would have seen that like, I like things tidy. I like things looking nice, beautiful. Like you're in a positive state of mind. You're in a positive surroundings. You're going to have a positive life. Now, Benny, I have to ask because I'm like, 
how can you be this positive? Have you had any down days? No down days. word of a lie. It's like my down, you, I wouldn't call them days, my down times were my emotions towards how I've affected my family, my loved ones. Um, as I stated, you know, my family came in the first time I, I had a cry. Um, they walked into the hospital and there I was unable to move. I had tracheostomies. I had all these tubes out my arms. I couldn't move a single thing and half the family just started crying and I could hear them running down the hallway and that's that was my first tears. I just I hated that, that I've caused pain and inflicted these emotions to, to my loved ones. But as far as it comes with uh, my emotions in my head, shit happens, you gotta move on. Like, it's life. Yeah, look, mate, hearing you say that, I think that's why you're so inspirational because I don't think there'd be many people if they're uh, in the same situation as you were that would have anywhere near as positive outlook on life. So, so mate, before we get into your actual accident itself and, and post-accident and uh, sort of the last four years, uh, we might just go before the accident and uh, hear a bit more about you and and uh, might start at sort of year 12 days. Yeah, year 12 was great. Just before that, I was I was told actually not to do year 12. Didn't never got the, bra- the best grades, really. Um, just because I was too busy trying to have fun chasing chasing skirts. But, um, <laughs> it, it, uh, I got to year 12, I thought, well, you know, I don't want to turn out and, and not be able to you know, have a career and a solid future. So I, I started trying and I, I did quite well in year 12, I ended up getting just, just above 90. But um, during that period of year 12, I was couch surfing with the boys during the week and, and staying with my girlfriend on um, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. That was till oh, just just before exams, really, where I had a, a permanent home, and that, that kind of helped having that permanent home location for those exams. Yeah, and that that's why you got a bloody ninety. You say, oh, I didn't go that well, and you got a ninety or eight out of your call. That's incredible. Yeah, well, considering I was the the shit stirrer at school, and I was told not to do school. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I would have been happy with forty. I love the term. <laughs> I was I was couch surfing with the boys, like the most just like Adelaide Australian thing ever. And what were your like sort of outlook on after year twelve? Did you want to go like further study or? Yep. So I originally wanted to be a paramedic. I just fell short of that, and then obviously after the accident, can't be driving a bus around fixing saving people's lives when you need day to day care and fixing and saving yourself yeah it'll give a whole new whole new meaning to the paramedics rolling up i guess yeah that's it literally (laughs) (laughs) what's this bastard gonna do (laughs) so you uh you approached or the finished up after exams finished your schooling and then uh how long after that mate was it when when you kind of went to the river i suppose with your mates did you have a schoolies before all that or what was the kind of timeline from finishing school to the accident itself yeah so i think we finished school around october november I went to schoolies, did what you do, <laughs> and um, <laughs> church, church every morning. Yeah, that's it. Out, that's out it. for coffee with said boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> blackberry juice every morning. Yeah, yeah. Just was doing me really. I, I was, I started becoming a bartender. I was, um, I did really well that year in football. Uh, I won the association just for the local footy club at Henley. I just got my bronze medallion, surf life saving, a, a week before the accident actually. Wow. So December the thirtieth, all my me and the boys, we jumped in the cars and. Boost up to Murray Bridge. We're heading up there just before the girls got there, as you, you need your time apart. <laughs> You've always been into your water sports and all your adventure sports, and you kind of always had that. You said to me, uh, you've actually you're a pretty keen football player, and you had that kind of ability that whatever sport or activity you picked up, you seemed to have that natural natural gift almost. Yeah, mate. I was I, whatever I did, I generally did pretty well. Played basketball, footy, tennis. I love surfing, skating, just 
just really getting outdoors and enjoying sport I, oh, I still do love it I'm obsessed with basketball to this day but yeah we, we would go up to the river very regularly like it was we'd go up to Murray Bridge or or down just past Manham go behind the boats you know didn't matter what it was I could get up and I could play around but yeah we just simply went up there just, just before the girls and having a few beers that night went to bed woke up the next day standard few beers again me and my mate were in the water mucking around we're playing this game where you'd throw a drink to each other and if you don't know, the Murray River is quite murky and brown, so you put your hand in there and you can't see the top of your knuckles if it's an inch off the top. So the game would be if you couldn't find the beer bottle, the, the UDL before it rose, you lost. <laughs> so you'd throw it to the left, you'd throw it to the right. If it came up, one strike, three strikes, you're out, you'd scale the drink. If you can't tell, we're all Australians on this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, he lost because I don't lose to drink the drink and so I got up and I grabbed him a beer threw it um, at him at the time sitting down I threw my beer in the river for myself and as he was kind of distracted by getting his beer I thought yeah here we go I'll take him out so I've jumped off the the bank which you know it wasn't it wasn't a bridge wasn't a jetty it wasn't of, of height it was probably two inches off the water level yeah well um, yeah so then I've just jumped at him the water looking so much deeper than what it was uh, he's stood up and gotten out of the way mid mid jump. I've just gone like, whoa, like what's going on here? I've changed my kind of angle. By then it was too late. Oh, I hit the deck and literally heard my neck go, and um, and I knew instantly that I was I was going to be in a wheelchair. Um, I, I was paralysed. I couldn't move a single thing, and I was just face down in the water. Couldn't roll over. All the boys I could hear in the background still talking, still laughing. And I'm just waiting there going, all right, flip me over. So from that point, you knew, as soon as you heard, you knew you, knew you were yeah. paralyzed. Because yeah. I've heard people you know, on other podcasts who were paralyzed, and they've said the same thing, that they knew from that instant that they were paralyzed. Yeah, that, that's so, a funny thing. It, yeah, so you know you instantly you're paralyzed because you got to roll over and you can't. Yeah. I, I am talking in a sense that I knew instantly my fate. I knew what was happening. Mm. I knew what was going on. Uh, like I said, the week before I got my bronze medallion. So you learn all about spinal cord yeah, injury yeah, and yeah. what happens. So I've hit the deck after all this education and yeah. gone, all right. Yeah, so you're, you're underneath the water. You know you, you, you think you're paralysed at this point and you can hear your mates still talking that, that shit and laughing in the back. And they, they thought, what, you were mucking around in the water or something? Yeah, so I'm lying down there. They're still giggling. My mate comes around. Sorry, before that, I, I could surf and stuff. Mm. So my respiratory was pretty good. So I could hold my breath for a while. I don't know how much time had passed. It felt like a lifetime. Like my my life literally flashed between my eyes. I was just family and Casey, the the girlfriend at the time, was going through my mind and all other things. Got to the stage where I was like, all right, boys, (laughs) your standard Joe just doesn't lie down in the water like this. Like, help me, help me, help me. Yeah, I haven't found the UDL can yet. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's that deep. And yeah, I was on the verge of breathing in. Like, Mm. it it was done. I was getting dizzy and everything. And like, literally, as I was going to inhale and just choose my my fate, my mate grabbed my shoulder and rolled me over. And I've just gone, (gasps) help. Because with my injury, I'm a high-level quadriplegic. It's classified as a C4-5. Your respiratory is dramatically affected. It's uh, I've got I've only got one quarter of the respiratory that I used to have, so I couldn't verbalise the problem. I've just gone and wait. Help! He thought I was taking the piss and just pushed me straight back under. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, but I guess um, it's easy for us to look back and be like, oh, that's terrible. But I guess. 
I've done stuff like that yeah. to make to, like, you just the boys stuff yeah you think, yeah. You think exactly. they're mucking around you're, what, you're 19 at the time yeah. you, don't, you don't think anyone's going to get hurt like you jumped in the water yeah. what's the exactly. worst thing yeah. that can happen yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. When, when was it they realised that holy shit Ben's actually not mucking around here there's something wrong yeah so he, he didn't even realise it was, it was the boys on the bank so I just heard someone say, nah, boys, something's wrong with her, though. Next thing I know, everyone was around me. Grabbed the neck, grabbed the shoulders, grabbed the arms, went on to the bank. I remember them just all being around me, and I was like, boys, just get me feet out of the water. Like, can't move a thing. I don't want to, like, it's getting into dark now. I don't want to be cold. And I just remember all their faces looking down at me going, Ben, your feet aren't in the water, mate. Oh, no. And I was like, ooh. It's a bit more serious than I thought. Like, and what, what was going through your, obviously knowing you now, you, you're extremely positive and everything, but at that point in time, when you were sitting there on the bank, knowing you couldn't feel your legs, all your mates standing around, obviously called the ambulance or whatever you had to do from there, what was going through your head? Well, when I actually went in the ambo, my, one of my mates leaned over me and I said to him, mate, I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Take me to a cliff. And his face just welted his eyes just crystallized and he's like nah benny you're gonna be good you're gonna be good holding in all the ocean he could i jumped in the amber and off we went yeah it's uh hearing you say that it, i couldn't even picture what it would have been like as obviously yourself but then being like a close mate or seeing you go through that and being there and then hearing you say something like that it must have seriously affected all your mates who are there as well yeah well i guess it's that part of perception isn't it i perceive those in wheelchairs that they had no life they don't do much and to a point you don't do much considering what you used to do but there's still so much you can do Mm. that was my perception that you know this this is shit life. I don't want that. But I think what gets me about your story the most is I grew up in a rural area, sort of you know, similar-ish to Murray Bridge, and me, my mates, everyone, I'm sure, Hugo, you're the same. We, we always jumped in the water like that. And you never think anything's going to happen. And they have all the ads on TV about check the water, check what's under it, check the depth. And it's almost like the, the teacher in school saying, oh, don't swing back in your chair. I know someone in a wheelchair who, who was doing that. And me being like, holy shit, I've done that so many times. I've seen people jumping so many times and never seen anything actually happen. And then you're sort of in front of me with this story of like, oh, shit, it's actually it's real and it's not that uncommon. Yeah, well, you know, just we're all blokes, aren't we? It's not going to happen to me, you know? Yeah. And you're right, that, that exact thing there, like whether it's getting diagnosed with cancers or whether it's having an accident like yourself or whether it's those, unfortunately, who don't make it out the other side for things, that attitude, especially as blokes, with the old, you know, I'm invincible type of attitude. Like, I still am. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we, we, all think, we all think we are. And it's true. And I think Willie would be the same. If we looked at the, the stupid shit that we did growing up, yeah. sometimes I look back and I generally cringe thinking, shit, I'm, I'm actually generally so lucky to get through all of that. And you think about all the stupid shit we all do as young kids mm. or guys going through that. And we do think we're invincible. And do you ever think, Benny, because I know you would have done more hectic, dangerous shit than jumping off a two-inch bank into the water. <laughs> Do you ever look back and go, "Fuck, I wish I had a better story for this yeah, than that"? Yeah, like, mate, have you ever told a better story? Like, yeah, I was base jumping off the Burj <laughs> Khalifa and you know hurt my spine. Yeah, did you ever change up your Tinder uh, description, <laughs> mate? <laughs> I, I've thought about it, but you yeah, know, I, do that? I, I'm just 
I'm a straight shooter. I'm just dead honest. And when I try to tell a lie like that, I just start. I go into hysterics myself. <laughs> it's a good enough story, as he's yeah, made. yeah. So I, I would love to, but I just don't have it in me. Well, so you were in the ambulance, and I believe you were talking, you know, a bit of smack with the, the ambo drivers. Yeah, yeah, I was talking smack the whole old ride with him and in the chopper to, to Adelaide. I actually remember the bloke cutting me jocks off, and I looked at him and said, "Can't mate, I don't want to be circumcised today." <laughs> <laughs> so, like that—that's just exactly how I am. I always want to take the piss out of everything and have a good laugh. <laughs> yeah. But from that day forward, that I said, well, from that an hour before, not even twenty minutes before, when I said to my mate, "Take me to the cliff. This is it." It's almost just like something just swapped in my head, and I thought, "Nah, this is the reality. We've got a, we've got two options here. You can dwell on this and have a horrible life, or you can look at the positives and go, well, I'm still here. I don't know what the future holds. Rehab was quite uh, intimidating in the fact of the unknown. I think that's what fears me the most is the unknown. But other than that, you know, day by day, inch by inch, now we're here. And yet, is there still much unknown? Like, for you, is there? a chance of walking again or getting more movement back or when it comes to spinal cord injury you've got two terms incomplete and complete yeah so a complete injury i pretty much say you're completely fucked <laughs> and incomplete you're not that's the medical term though <laughs> like in the, yeah, yeah it is i read it off in the, the heinemann you know, biology book <laughs> it says you're completely fucked <laughs> or you're incompletely fucked <laughs> so I, i'm a c45 complete uh quadra or, or a tetraplegic recovery is in you know, I could do as much rehab as I wanted. I could do the stimulation I wanted. I'm not going to go walk tomorrow. I'm not going to walk in five years. With the medical advancements, you don't know. But, you know, you hold on to that. And if you don't get it, then you're going to be upset. Like, in my opinion, you yeah. expect nothing from everyone. Everything they do is a surprise. So, so then you never, you never let down. And that's, that's an incredible outlook to have. Well, it's, it's almost like you, Willie, you've touched on it with having incurable brain cancer. You, you don't generally know how long you've got left. Mm. But rather than get too caught up in getting a cure for yourself because you don't want to you know like uh, ben was saying it might put your hopes up and it might never never happen you're so passionate that look it might not be for me it's for the the generations of children coming through whether that be brain cancer or people going through what ben's got through maybe years and years down the track it could be could be there yeah for sure i don't know i assume, i think ben you have a similar outlook to me that yeah like for us no but future generations yes yeah exactly. um, and even the case of just looking like are you saying it pushed me off a cliff you having this outlook that you've completely changed from that to and that's doing incredible things for people in similar circumstances to yourself yeah well, it's a complete turn isn't it and I, i'm so grateful that i've got that mentality that i didn't hold on to those emotions all through my rehab and all my life that was probably the, the hardest thing i've said um mm. to anyone I probably regret saying it to my mate because that would have affected him yeah it's that was it, and this is it. This is this is now. Once you got uh, airlifted back to hospital and you went in for, for surgery, and they the surgeon tried to do what he could to explain how does that work with the surgery and and obviously breaking your neck. So what they do is surprisingly they don't go through your back. They don't go through the neck. I had an operation just below you know Adam's apple or my Benny's apple. <laughs> right below that, they they slit that open about an inch and operated from the front of my neck to fix the back. Wow. So the terminology of, of my break is called a burst fracture. What the doctors do when they're going through the front, they just put a bridge on my vertebrae. And so I'm fused C456. And when I say C, that's referring to the cervical part of the vertebrae. That's all fused and they, don't, they reckon that's so strong, you're not gonna 
break that again. Well, don't um, give it a bloody crack. <laughs> and then so waking up from that surgery, obviously, like you said, there was only that, which I find unbelievable, less than an hour transition period of almost accepting your fate and just accepting that for what it was. But when you woke up from that surgery, was that a difficult moment? The, the most difficult part was I couldn't speak. Second from that, it was, as I said previously, like the emotions of seeing everyone was, was so hard to to know that I've inflicted all this pain on my loved ones. When they came in and they walked out, hear them crying, I was crying. Like me and my mum never had the greatest relationship for the accident, waking up, um, the first person I saw was her and she was just sitting there holding my hand. Not that I felt it, um, I just saw her. Even without talking, I kind of was able to tell her that I just wanted her to play the guitar for me. Pretty patchy with our relationship then, but growing up we were very close. We used to sing and, and play the guitar together and I went straight back to that moment as soon as I saw my mum. Like, that's all I wanted, I, I think. I guess it just made me feel safe. And I guess that's um, one silver lining, I guess, to you know, going through experiences like you have or myself and Hugo have, is it actually has brought, well, particularly in my case, myself closer to my family have you found that as well oh most definitely yeah it's very ironic i got brought up in a very religious family so my dad was at bible college and mum and dad met through the church and we're all altar boys so it drew the family a lot closer and and speaking about being uh, the religious I, I used to pray at night before the accident i i remember praying like i just wish the family was closer i always missed my mum's relationship and just a, a, a bit all over the shop as everyone's families are and yeah I prayed for this a couple of days later I broke my neck and then within six months everyone mum and dad were talking again they're, they're split up and, and they could be in the same room with each other and everything was fine and mum's partner was yeah they communicate with dad as well and, and like, we catch up so much as a family now everyone's so much closer and you know I look back at that and go like was that the prayer or that's why you're treated I don't know if I want to pray or believe yeah. anymore yeah <laughs> mis mysterious ways mate and, and four years I was about four years now it happened okay? yeah yeah um, since December the 30th 2014 yeah, and, and, so. and is it still you're still close than ever yeah, yeah yeah closer every day that's fantastic as far as a silver lining to this that's yeah that's a good thing <laughs> what about mate and i remember so you're saying offline you're with your girlfriend at the time two years from about year 10 to year 12 so about two years before the accident and then i understand you were still together for a good year and a half after the accident and during all your recovery yeah me and me and my girlfriend at the time casey was her name when she came in for the first time and i could actually communicate uh i said to her like you know you're 18 i'm 19 you can walk like I completely understand it it is no life for an 18 19 year old and that's even my perception now like it is quietly you know 18 19 year old, you're still finding yourself you mm -hmm. you want to go out and enjoy those things and I still go out I still hit hit the drinks I still do everything that someone my age does there's just limitations restrictions mm -hmm. you got to figure out the alternatives and as long as you can do that then life is more than sustainable and livable in, in a positive uh, mind frame as well you know I said to her numerous times just, you know, come on, you don't have to, you don't have to. She she was a pretty good girl, stuck by us for a year and a half or so. And then I, I remember this one time she came over. I could see in her eyes that she knew this was it, that it wasn't getting better. Like, I think she was under the assumption that I was going to walk out of hospital. When I was in hospital in my head, I was just like, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to walk out, I'm going to walk out, I'm going to walk out. It obviously didn't end up happening. So yeah, I, after that day, I, she, she left and we broke up a couple of days after that. She was my whole drive through rehabilitation. I would get to physio and I'd be like, all right, what do I need to do? Got to get good for Case. Got to, I got to look after her. Like she, she was, she's my girlfriend. Got to sort it out. Like, I don't know, I always had that perception that us, us males 
you know we've got to we've got to be the wing over our partners we've got to look after them we've got to make sure they're okay so as much seeing her and seeing that she wasn't okay mm. killed me yeah. and do you, um, do you find it easier or harder being single or in a relationship with which are, with what you've gone through or is it just different different i've had mm. relationships after the accident now i'm i'm very much more closed and protect my emotions because how much it did hurt losing someone that you love you know i i think i'm more i understand myself more being alone for so long you've got no other choice but to know yourself and i think like if there's one benefit out of this there's still there's a few benefits but like one of the strongest ones to me is i'm just so in tune with who i am what i like what i love what i need when the right thing comes i'll snatch it and I think when I when I look at you and to tie into that is you've got such like sort of internal peace and acceptance of who you are. You know who you are so much that you're happy of just who you are. Doesn't matter if you were the, the surfer dude growing up or now yourself in the I'm wheelchair. Still the same you're still the same person. Still me. You're happy with that and sort of at peace with that. Yep. And I think that's what it comes down to, honestly. You've you gotta be at peace with yourself, otherwise you're never at peace with family, friends, relationships. Yeah, and, and on that, Ben, you, you'd obviously over this your journey, you would have met a lot of other quadriplegics, and paraplegics, tetraplegics uh, in your life, and obviously not all of them have the same positive outlook that you have. And I know we're talking. Uh, obviously, it's Hollywood, but the movie that we we watched, uh, both have watched, and Ulysses might have seen it. Me before you, I think it's called. It's about this guy who was like Ben, had this physical life, and then he had this accident and became a quadriplegic, he couldn't face those demons and he couldn't adjust to his new life and eventually that got too much for him. How have you found those other people? Have you almost been like a mentor to other people because you, you are so positive? Yeah, so all through my rehabilitation, I was the one that was most effective physically. I was up every day going into other people's rooms. Hey, going, sun's out. Let's get up and about. That's Come awesome. on, like, open your eyes. Give me that smile. Oh, look at that. That's a beautiful smile. Come on, I'll get the nurse. We'll get you up. Come play in the garden. And, like, these are people that are very low-level paraplegics that can get in and out of bed themselves. And their life is, if we're talking statistics again, I know I had 7% ableness. They had 70% ableness yeah, or 60 wow. Like, you know, they could do so much more than I could, yet they, their mentality was just that, that they were so much more disabled than they were. Mm. And I, I think, like, I look at myself and go, you know, yeah, I've got 7% ability. I don't see that. Mm. You know, I see me as me. And I, and I love that. I think that's the biggest takeaway I've got, not only from the podcast, but from meeting you, yeah. is your whole outlook of, yeah, I'm 93% disabled, but I'm 7% able. Mm. And you, what you can make of just that 7% is something just incredible. So when you had the accident late December, what was the, the time frame of when you eventually left hospital or the, the ongoing rehab, recovery? What was the process of that ongoing? 30th of December, broke my neck, went to Royal Alley Hospital. I was there in ICU for two weeks because of the pneumonia. And I left the spinal ward in the Royal Adelaide Hospital about the 12th of February. And so Hampstead Rehabilitation, which is unreal. Like everyone there, they just become your family. A lot of people get connected to those nurses and their occupational therapists and their physios and really struggle leaving. And I could see that. But yeah, that, that was, it was a beautiful place. I couldn't speak more highly of it. I left there November the 13th and moved straight into my own place. I didn't have many options with the family to go with them. At the same time, I didn't want to either. If I was going to have to rely on people uh, I didn't want to associate any family or friends with that. So I left Hampstead 
independently, which everyone advised strongly against because um, my doctor said that she thinks I'm the only, only one in my situation doing what I do and living independently. I did it. It worked. So that was 11 months, essentially, from your accident Pretty much. to hospital to Hampstead to all your recovery to your rehab to your therapist to everything. 11 months later and you're, you're living more or less independently. It's pretty amazing or remarkable turnaround in, in such a short time frame. Yeah, well, you say all your recovery with, with any injury or disability or... Well, anything that happens in life, you're never fully recovered. You're yeah. gonna, you learn every day. From the day I moved into the place out of the rehabilitation to, to now, I can do so much more. Yeah, of course. And that's been that's been a couple of years. I still learn today. You know, one day you think, well, I wouldn't be able to get my phone off the floor. That was my assumption all the time. I've dropped it out, and I've always been with someone. So it's like, hey, pick up my phone. No worries, they get it easy. I dropped it at home and had no other way to call anyone. Couldn't figure it out. And I was just like, how the hell am I going to pick up this phone? Went to my drawer, got my saucepan out, couldn't hook it up. Went in there, got a spatula, was banging it. Ended up getting a spatula. I, got, I wear these gloves that help pushing, that help me push the wheelchair. So I got the spatula wedged in there, leant over and kind of got it under the phone and then threw it in the air about, I don't know, maybe 118 times until it landed on my lap. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then I finally went, woo. But it landed right on my lap, got up, and I was so accomplished. And I'm not like I'm not lying. That would have been an hour, maybe two hours of just trying to pick up my phone. Where that's that's like I had one goal. I had to figure it out. Well, I had spoons all over the floor. <laughs> this is like I said, the spatula, the saucepan. Like you, you, strike, you strike me as a type of guy. If you if you want something, or you're pretty pretty motivated, you'll do everything you can do to get it. Exactly. I'm not one to look at it and go, oh yeah, well you know that that's too hard. I'll wait for the the support worker, the carer to come. It's like no. What else am I doing today? Yeah. Like, I've got a bit of free time. I'm not at uni at the moment. I'm all up with my assignments. No one's coming over. Let's give this a crack for an hour or so. Did you look back though and think, I've, I've got my phone, but now there's a hundred spoons on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I've no, stuffed no. it in. <laughs> that, that's what you left for uh, your therapist to pick the spoons yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. No, that's not my job. From that point, living by yourself, uh, it's now been three three years from that point, yeah. roughly, give or take. You've obviously gone through a, a, a shitload <laughs> since that time, but you're also doing remarkable things at the moment. We touched on before, you're such an active guy and you love your basketball still, uh, but you loved all your adventure sports in the river and you obviously can't do that now, as, as such as physically, but what are now some of the passions that you do and you find that really gets you up each day and something that you really look forward to doing? So... I'm a very simple person. You give me sunshine, you give me a couple of beers and some good tunes, uh, I'm, I'm very happy. Sounds bloody good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like you said before, and as I stated, love sport, and that's just, that was everything. I was non-stop exercising and doing things like that. And now I uh, find that music just became my thing. I was never into music before and I could tell you so many things about music now. I just indulge myself into it. Not only that, like I, I find poetry just beautiful. I always used to muck around with mates and like write a little funny thing here and there that rhyme. So I write I write things all the time. It's just it just takes you somewhere else. Looking on looking on the outside, in my perspective or Willie's perspective or a lot of people listening what you've gone through is probably one of the worst things that people could ever imagine. Uh, having your mind mentally perfect, no change, and your outlook on life really no change, but then being physically impacted the way you are. Then the way you've gotten through all of that, as everyone could probably listen to this episode, you've still got this sense of humor too, which I think is just an amazing trait to have. 
Yeah, well, I think you've always got to be able to take the piss out of yourself. Everyone, everyone enjoys a laugh. It's therapy. It's mm. it's rehabilitation. It's everything. Like you smile onto someone, it's infectious. They they smile onto someone else, and it just starts this cascade of happy emotion. I find that like I was at uni, and people would like be so hesitant to come up and say hello because mm. they just don't know what to say. They're they're, straight, they're treading on um, eggshells. You know, I'd take a joke or something, and I'd drop my book or something, and I'd go and I'd, I'd make this loud statement and and say something about myself, and then all of a sudden, there's just a group of people around me like, oh, oh hi. What happened to you? And then it just starts a conversation because they don't feel that they're going to say the wrong thing because you've just said the worst. Mm, yeah, and, and it's funny with that. And I've only known you a couple of hours, really. Is Even though I've become a lot more comfortable around you. I know when I first sort of met you, I'm like, okay, Willie, don't say anything bad here. Like, yeah, you might offend him. And then you rocked up at my house and I'm like, you wouldn't believe what I've done. I've just bought three chairs in my studio <laughs> and one of us bought our fucking own chair. <laughs> you need to bring that in. And I think that's just lifted for me massively. Like, the seeing how happy you are has brought just happiness on myself and I'm yeah. like, we'll have a joke. And we, we chatted that at the pub before we had lunch and it's, it's so true when you kind of break that taboo on what you can and can't say and you realise that well you're just a, a normal bloke who likes to have you know a few laughs and, and make a bit of fun of yourself and you realise that's fine or what you can and can't say you kind of that walking on eggshells is, is just lifted and it's yeah. a lot more comfortable for everyone oh 100% you know you, you I work with some people that have this anger towards people who say they're wheelchair bound and you can feel the tension in the room as soon as someone says oh you know this bloke's wheelchair bound it's just so tight and everyone just takes a step back whereas me I, of course I'm wheelchair bound mm. I can't get to A to B but it's just, it's just like oh, like I say so many times it's a matter of perception there's that many people out there that perceive their disability so much worse than what it is or they perceive their situation in life or like I touch again how I say I've got 7% ability. I don't even see the 93% disability. I know it's there. Whereas someone who has, that are completely able and they've got depression, they've done their ACL. If they perceive their situation a lot worse than what it is, then they are more disabled than I am. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's controlling them. They're not controlling the exactly. disability. A lot of it's a mental game. You find over your journey over the last four or five years, you've actually helped others more than they've helped you because you're under the uh, mentality that, well, look, there's only so much they can do, but you're found and you're saying about your mate who struggled with a bit with his mental health and your sister and a lot of your mates come to you for advice because you've just got such such wisdom and such an amazing outlook on life with what you've been through and you're actually helping so many more people. Yeah, so uh, the bloke that I was referring to before that I jumped into the, the water at, he suffered quite pretty deep depression. Is that because he blamed himself or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he very much so did. And he just, he struggled with it big time. And I'm in hospital not talking. I couldn't even talk. I had a tracheostomy in. But when I could, I was rehabilitating him. He'd come and just get a bit emotional and, you know, I just talk about life and situations and things. And same with my sister. She would call me just bawling her eyes out and, you know, this has happened, that's happened. And I just straight away, like I never, I, you, you let people talk, you take a step back and then you just go, well, you know, what can we do about this? How, we, how can we make it better? If we can't, well, are we going to think about it and hold on to it? Or is this something that you just got to let go of and, and see tomorrow? I guess it was out of your control as... There's no point sort of dwelling on it. There's exactly. nothing you can do. Exactly. And I see that in yourself as well. You're like, well, I can't change this 93% disability. 
but I've got 7%. Yeah. <laughs> Let's work with that. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and I think your outlook to that is sort of like a, a pebble in a pond that you might, you know, if you drop it in and ripples come off, you see the immediate effect of those people in your friendship group that you help. But I guess there, there would be so many people sort of on the banks of that pond that you don't actually know, but you're helping so much through your positive outlook of being someone in that rehab centre, even if they're just visualising how you are, how you approach life massively and you're helping them even if you don't see it. And I'm sort of one of those people that you're, you're affecting, you know. You don't know me really from a bar of soap, but you've had such a positive impact on me and I think oh, you should absolutely. be so proud of what you have done mm. that you know you've helped. But then there's probably tenfold of that. Mm. You have no idea who they are. They probably have no idea your name or who yeah. you are, but have seen your outlook. Say they've got 80% loss. And then think, holy shit, that guy's worse off than me. And look, look how he's approaching yeah. life. That saying that in the rehabilitation, there was one person that I helped a lot. That we we're actually neighbours, <laughs> as you'd say. I could tell she was always down, and I was always just trying to bump it up. And it was through a friend of theirs who went to Macca's one day and lined up behind them. There was some <laughs> weird connection of how we knew each other. <laughs> and two years later, after they just grabbed me and they were like, you know, this girl like. They, their family was so grateful of what you did and how you helped her through her rehabilitation. Like they really don't think she'd be where she was without you. And that was just such a beautiful thing to hear. Like I, I never saw the changes in her ever. Yeah, absolutely, mate. You seem like you've just got that, that caring trait to you, which just comes so natural to you, which I think is just so, so inspiring. And so many people can take a lot away from that. Um, and on, on that though, mate, I've just... Just got a question. How do you go about when you speak to people or when you see other people that complain about things that seem trivial or insignificant in life? Mate, it doesn't get to me at all. This is probably one of the biggest things that's changed after the accident. Before, I wasn't much of a fence sitter. It was A or B, make a choice. But now, you don't know the situation. You don't know the story. You don't know what anyone's going through. So, yeah, it, it, it does. It, it would frustrate the average joe yeah. someone coming up to you you can't move much your mates have got to help oh, mate, you check, check out my bloody moon but yeah you're yeah. struggling yeah yeah people come in and they're like oh you know i spent like six weeks in a wheelchair i broke me foot i couldn't work i know exactly how you, <laughs> feel. How you feel and you're like mm, yeah well you don't you but then don't. it goes straight back down to yeah. the, the, how they perceived their disability at the time and to them it was worse than a quadriplegic that needs six to eight hours of care a day, can't control a lot of his bodily functions. <laughs> and you get helpers in every day to your house to help you, let's say, control those bodily functions? <laughs> yeah, so I've got morning shifts that go for two hours, which is your standard shit shower shave, get dressed, get in a wheelchair, and then I'm all good during the day until lunchtime, someone comes and prepares. Um, but it's just like the actual cooking that I can't do. That's mirror image of dinner. And then bedtime, I need a hand getting thrown in. And uh, you, you did mention that, mate, when you've had a few too many drinks, you've had a big night with the lads, you uh, find a, a, new, a unique little sleeping spot. Yeah, so come home early hours of the morning and no one's going to tuck you into bed. You can't sleep in the chair upright otherwise you'll end up with your ears between your feet so I just go and get a pillow and throw it in my sink and just put the brakes on and just rest my uh, head nice and softly on there and I don't normally fall asleep I'm also pass out (laughs) and then yeah get woken up in the morning to go to bed and and I have to ask Ben um, on on another subject Sexually, is is everything working or is it not working? We haven't known you too long Ben but can we ask that or? Yeah 
That's something that I've always sort of wondered about with quadriplegics. Uh, are you, are you offering or? <laughs> I can be. If, if we'll, have, we'll have to turn the cameras on. The, the podcast has actually become like a video cast. That, that leather chair is looking pretty comfy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just scooch him beside Hugo in the chair. All three of us can get nice and cozy. Yeah. But it is something that, that I've always wondered that I'm like, well, I can move my legs and that man piece. Uh, and if, if you can't move your legs, does that work? Does that? Yeah. So here's the thing. Before as well, everyone's an individual. Everything's different. Yeah. Everything in my body works. I just can't tell it to work. So if you you know, you're sitting there and, and a female is what you're attracted to and they start taking their clothes off in your head you're going, ooh. <laughs> you know? The, those signals are sent down which causes arousal and then and then you're up and ready. My mental stimulation, I still get <laughs> I still get it. And I'm talking like it is tenfold. It is so much. The stimulation in my mind is so much more than what you guys would get. Everything I can feel is hypersensitized as well. Jeez, I don't so. need any more <laughs> sensitivity that I forgot. <laughs> Trust me, mate. I didn't think that. And I like this. So, but so more you just, you can't control it more than anything. You can still have, have sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So And have you, since your accident, you yeah, still have sex? Yeah, I've had sex numerous times before, uh, uh, since the accident. Don't get me wrong. It's not the normal sex. Yeah. Um, sometimes I wake up, she's rock hard, let's go. <laughs> I don't know if she's rock hard was the best way to, to say that there, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go with that. <laughs> but yeah, and then, and then yeah, sometimes it lasts a minute, sometimes it's a bit longer, sometimes it's it just isn't going to perform. You know, it's never it's never what it was. That's but, what know. it is for me. And you, yeah. Are you saying I've got something wrong with yeah, me? Like with a, lot of guys, a lot of guys listening out there yeah. probably like, well, I'm, I'm yeah, struggling I'll, I'll down be happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. A minute, yeah. a minute, Jesus. <laughs> Two-pop Tom. Yeah. And, and look, we're joking around about it. At the same time, you know, it is a, a genuine question because you're 24 and a lot of, you know, guys in their 20s and 30s or whatever age, you know, having a sex life is still important. So mm. it, it's good to, I suppose, hear that you can still have a sex life, uh, albeit being a, a quadriplegic. But it's, I think it's saying that everyone's a lot scared to ask as well. So they just assume like, I'm not going to ask this. They develop their own opinion that, okay, like you said, can't move his legs. Can't do that. Uh, yeah, exactly. As you can tell, probably with Willie and myself, we're, we're pretty open guys and we kind of just ask those questions more, more so than we're curious in anything. But I think it's an important point you raise there. And if it's something for the listeners is that quite often people treating you differently because you're in a wheelchair or because you can't move your legs and they treat you differently and they say different things than they normally would but it's kind of important to note that well you don't need to say that you're still the same Ben as you were before the accident as you are now so say what you normally would to pre-accident Ben as you would post-accident Ben yeah exactly there hasn't been a lot of friendships that speak the same um, just because and as I would assume I would have looked at the situation and said, okay, if I was there, how would I be? Mm. And as I said before, I said, take me to the nearest cliff. Mm. So I think people go to talk to me and they put themselves in that situation. And if you had to be careful around other people with similar conditions to you to not offend them, because I know similarly that I know I have offended people who aren't as open with it as me and I'll say something and then they'll be like, 
who the fuck are you? Why are you joking about this? And what would you say before, Willie, when you're you're at work and uh, you're introduced to your new uh, the new guys at your unit? Yeah, yeah. I'll, my company was raising, so we have a heap of new guys in the company. My my sort of bigger boss gets up, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, just so everyone knows, this is Willie. You'll see a bit of him around. He's actually got a, like a terminal brain cancer. Willie, would you like to say anything?" I'm like, "Yep." Yeah. Boys, good thing with having me in the company is um, Bravo might get its first kill for the year. <laughs> and just the look on the new guy's Savage. faces. Although I'm fine, but I think half Whack. of them were offended. Like, oh, like, do we laugh? Do we laugh? Yeah. 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 Who is this dude? <laughs> no, but, but have you found that? Have you found that you need to be careful with what you say about almost yourself? Yeah, when you speak about that? yourself, it's different. But like I, I work in a company called Determined 2 where we are surrounded by people with disabilities um, and movement. Um, and I've had complaints written about me saying that I, I'm speaking too much about this and I say the wrong thing because they're offended. Yeah. So you're spot on. Like mm-hmm. I can rip into myself and I won't get a complaint. If someone asks me about their situation and I put my opinion in it, I get a complaint. <laughs> where you're sitting now, I don't know where I always sit. It's uh, think no. on me. I can't stand up for myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. Oh, bam. Um, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that sitting there like you are in that wheelchair, you don't let that define who you are. You don't let that control what you can and can't do. Uh, and I believe that uh, you actually still are keen to travel and you still are keen to go overseas. And you've actually recently uh, booked some flights and booked some uh, tickets to go overseas. Yeah, so that's the plan. Before the accident, the mate that I was saying that was putting his leg up and said, can't do this, do that. Uh, Me and him always wanted to go traveling together. And I was like, you know what, man, like, I want to go to uni, get a career. And like, traveling's always there. It's never going to be taken away from me. Mm. Then I broke my neck. It is something I wanted to do always independently. um, And it is something that I am doing. I've got my ticket May the 1st and I'm coming back on October the 25th. Um, oh, that's a long time. Yeah, that's yeah, months. That's months. Six, yeah. six yeah, months. Jesus. Yeah. Just because plane flights are so annoying, I want to get over there, do everything I can, come back and probably won't do Europe again. But do, do you need assistance while you're over those six months? Yes. I've had to take up with SA Care and some privately as well, uh, a bunch of supports, uh, a crew that I'm training at the moment. And what's going to happen is, for example, in May I'm in Italy. I'll fly over there with the support for, for Italy. Support will leave and then the, the the other one will come in. That's how I'm going to do the six months. And are you funding this yourself or is it crowdfunding? Or are you... No, 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 no. So I'm covered by the NDIS. Yep. There's still some questions about the duration that I can go for. I, I, have, a fun, I have funding by NDIS which cover supports for me where it's um, cleaning my house, doing my gardening, um, helping me in the shower, cooking my food, things like that. Mm. Um, I'm giving X amount of dollars. and oh, But as far as it goes as my holiday, all from, from my bank account, I saved. When I was 16, I went to the bank and said, what do I need to do to get a house when I'm 25? And she said, oh, well, if you put 50 bucks away a week, when you're 26, we'll, we'll, you have a good deposit for a home. Mm. But now after the accident, that that freedom of just going whenever you want, jumping on a plane, jumping on a bus, mm. and just independently doing everything you've ever wanted it's not taken from me but the independence and the the availability to do that has been i just thought you know houses are always there and if i lost more ability than the seven percent you've only got it's going to be a lot harder so i thought 
I want to go on holiday. Do it, yeah. And just one final question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Starting to, to be a dietitian. That's my goal. I want to get back into uh, rehabilitating spinal cord patients as the dietitian. Um, I find nutrition and health, um, like I was talking about, positive environment, mm. positive and healthy food. You know, you are what you eat, full stop. Yeah, that sounds awesome, mate. Obviously, it's something you're really passionate about and no doubt you'll be perfect for that and to really be able to help others. So look, mate, we will finish the episode off there. However, before we do go, I just thought I'd ask you if there's anything you just want to finish the episode off on on kind of a high note and really leave the listeners with something to take away. So I guess the biggest thing I've learned is like, you don't know what's around the corner. So if there's that holiday you want to go on, do it. You know, if that's if there's that person that you love, tell them. Don't, don't hold anything back because it's true. You don't know what's there tomorrow. If it's in your heart, if it's in your mind and you know, it's in your gut, follow up. Yeah, and that's an incredible thing, Dan. And just for myself and I'm sort of on Hugo's behalf as well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, cheers for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. You've been listening to the 25 Stay Alive podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify to get fresh new weekly episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 25 Stay Alive. And feel free to send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.